So we're excited to, uh, we had a week off and now we're into our, our newer studies. So uh, kids ministry, uh, VBS has ended, now we're into uh, what they have is training for Bible quizzing. Now, let me just tell you, kids ministry, if you're curious, coming on Wednesday night does not mean you have to Bible quiz. What you do on Wednesday night is you learn the material, and if kids want a Bible quiz on top of that, they're capable of. But the point of anything in study of Scripture is the Scripture itself. And uh, so that's, that's starting up, and then uh, today is also Promotion Sunday. So this, coming this week, uh, the kids that are going in, into fourth grade will start joining us in our services instead of being in kids' church, second service. And then uh, kids who are going into uh, youth group, sixth grade this year, can go into youth group. And so... It's that time of year where everything turns around and kids go back to school. And I'm sure if you've driven downtown the last couple of days, you've seen the students back. Yay! Uh, so, lots of good things happening. Uh, and also, Saturday with our food giveaway. And then we're finally going to get to celebrate Billy Slusser. And so, I encourage you guys to be out for that. That's at 2 p.m. And then following that, we're going to have a meal in the multi-purpose space. And so... I uh, encourage you guys to bring a covered dish for that and uh, maybe some canned goods to honor Billy, but we're going to have a good time rejoicing that she's with Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Zechariah chapter 9. Uh, before we get to Zechariah, though, I'm going to talk about 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, during this time, the Israelites are fighting against the Arameans. The king of Aram is wanting to battle, and every time he makes plans to battle the Israelites or create an ambush, God tells the prophet Elisha where they're going to be and what they're going to do when they get there. And so Elisha would, would tell the king of Israel the king of Aram's plan so they'd be prepared or they'd be on alert or they'd vacate the area. So after so many times of planning a battle scenario, the king of Aram is angry and frustrated because it seems like the Israelites know his plans before he ever gets there. And so he tells his generals, he tells his leaders, one of you is a traitor. Somebody is sharing the secrets that I tell you and sharing it with Israel. And they defend themselves and say, uh, there is a prophet named Elisha that tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. <laughs> so he finds out that Elisha is residing in the city of Dothan. And so he sends a great army overnight to surround that city. The next morning, Elisha's servant wakes up, comes outside, maybe stretching, getting the sleep out of his eyes, and looks around and sees the city surrounded by this vast army. And he asks Elisha, what will we do? I want you to remember that question. Because when you're surrounded by some force, physical or spiritual, that you don't have an answer for, that's the wrong question. What will we do? I can see Elisha calmly sipping his tea or coffee. Maybe he's already sitting on the front porch, looking through his scroll. Stepping away from the text, let's just consider the futility of the king of Aram's actions. 
If God reveals to Elisha the plans he makes even in the privacy of his bedroom, don't you think some surprise attack overnight God hasn't already prepared Elisha for? And so Elisha says to his servants, um, he says, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And then he prays, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And so... In that instant, Elisha's servant looks again at the surrounding army, and above them, he sees an even greater, vaster army of the Lord of Heaven's hosts. An angelic army, glowing in fire, radiance, huge. And he sees the difference. And just as he prays for for God to open his servant's eyes. Elisha also prays that God would blind the eyes of the Arameans. Now, I don't think they all become completely physically blind. I think they come, become blind to the reality because Elisha steps out of the city, walks up to their commander and says, hey, what are you guys here for? Oh, well, we're here to take Elisha, the prophet of God. Oh, you're in the wrong city. You're in the wrong place. I, I will gladly take you to where he is. And they say... Okay, so he walks them. The very man they've been sent to capture and kill, he walks them inside the city gates of the capital of Samaria. You know, this is the northern kingdom time period. And just as the gates shut behind them, Elisha once again prays, God, open their eyes. And this vast army finds them surrounded by their enemy, the Israelites. And the Israelite king, so excited at having his family, his enemy, at a disadvantage, asks Elisha, should I kill them, should I kill them? It's the second wrong response in the passage. Elisha says, of course not. Do we kill prisoners of war, give them food and drink, and send them home again to their master? So the king made a great feast for them. And then sent them home to their master. After that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. God fights our battles. In this passage, we see that God is in control. We see the reality of heaven's armies. So often, we don't have the spiritual eyesight to see what God is doing behind the scenes. And yet, we say that we believe that our God is Lord Almighty. He is Lord Almighty. We cannot trust our eyes when we don't have that spiritual sense. We see that God can conquer any force we face with the methods of heaven. And not the violent, vindictive methods of man. And the battle is won... And the war is ended, not with, gener- not with violence, but with generosity and grace. At a meal, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Throughout Israel's history, a battle was never won without God's favor or plan or perspective being followed. And the greatest battles that we know that are recorded are ones like this one. Maybe the walls of Jericho, where they worshipped outside the walls. Or, or when God reduced Gideon's army from 100% to 1%. And all they had to do was shout and rejoice when God gave the commandment. Or Moses' army 
when they defeated their enemy in battle as Moses raised his hands in praise, supported by Aaron and Hur. And so that's the focus of today's message. My prayer is that as we study God's word today, that he'll open our eyes to the proper perspective. So we can ask the right questions when we're facing a foe or a challenge we don't have an answer for. That we won't immediately say, what will we do? Or when God moves powerfully, we don't say, can we kill him? (laughs) We want to have the right heart and the right perspective. Zechariah 9, 1 through 8. This is the message from the Lord against the land of Aram and the city of Damascus for the eyes of humanity, including all the tribes of Israel, are on the Lord. Doom is certain for Hamath near Damascus and for the cities of Tyre and Sidon, though they are so clever. Tyre has built a strong fortress and has made silver and gold as plentiful as dust in the streets. But now the Lord will strip away Tyre's possession and hurl its fortifications into the sea, and it will be burned to the ground. The city of Ashkelon will see Tyre fall and will be filled with fear. Gaza will shake with terror, as will Ekron, for their hopes will be dashed. Gaza's king will be killed, and Ashkelon will be deserted. Foreigners will occupy the city of Ashdod. I will destroy the pride of the Philistines. I will grab the bloody meat from their mouths and snatch the detestable sacrifices from their teeth. Then the surviving Philistines will worship our God and become like a clan in Judah. The Philistines of Ekron will join my people and the ancient, as the ancient Jebusites once did. I will guard my temple and protect it from invading armies. I am watching closely to ensure that no more foreign oppressors overrun my people's land. The land of Aram that he mentions in verse 1 is the same people group that God had delivered his people from during the time of Elisha in the passage read from from Kings. In this passage, there are several cities named Damascus, Hamath, Tyre, Sidon, Eshkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and Ashdod. A A brief survey of Israel's history will show that there's constant battles over these cities and from these cities throughout their history. In fact, uh, if you notice, the, the, the terms Ashkelon and Gaza and Ekron and Ashdod are sometimes referred to as Israelite cities. That's because these are cities on the west side of, of the land given to the people of Israel, and this is where the Philistines would fight them back and forth from these cities. Uh, during this time period, these are Philistine strongholds. The first cities named are part of Syria to the north, and the second part are, are cities that belong to the Philistines to the west. And so prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, the Israelites and the people of Judah sought refuge, sometimes with these very enemies. They'd be fearful of what was happening in Egypt, or they'd be fearful of, of the rising Assyrians, or they'd be fearful of the Babylonians. And so who were once their enemies? They tried to make their friends. And now as Israel is struggling to rebuild, as we've been talking about from Haggai and Zechariah, the city's being rebuilt, their homes are being rebuilt, the temple's being rebuilt, all these other cities, their invading enemies, continue to thrive. And so the old threat from centuries before is still there. Let me pause here and say we can feel the same way sometimes in our personal lives. We all have familiar battles and enemies, don't we? Doesn't it seem like you fight the same battles 
sometimes over and over and over again. Sometimes your enemies never cease to change. For some of us, it may be a recurring temptation. Others, it's a sin pattern or even an addiction. Maybe part of your battle is the guilt of past sin that Christ has forgiven, and yet the enemy brings that up to you because he knows you have such shame from your past that if he can get you to believe that's who you still are, that he wins. But we are all at a place of possible progress and growth. I want you to know that. No matter where you are today, no matter how you enter these doors today, no matter how low you may feel or how defeated you are or depressed or overwhelmed, you're right at the verge of growth. You're right at the verge of growth. Every seed has to die for new life to come out. So join me this morning at pinpointing who some of your familiar enemies are. Again, in this group this size, we can't have uh, crowd participation directly. But in your heart of hearts, what are your constant battles and enemies? Who are the ones you tend to face over and over and over again? For some of us, it may actually be a person or a group of people that you just continually seem to butt heads with. It could even be a family member. Someone who's living in rebellion and, and being family, you can't entirely separate yourselves from them. And, and so it's this heavy burden as their lifestyle just continues to, to be a battle in your home. Here in this passage, much like 2 Kings 6, God is fighting our battles. From our perspective, it looks like we're about to lose again, Right? I, again, I don't know what you're in the middle of right now. Some of you I do, some of you I don't. But you probably feel like, oh, why am I here again? Why this enemy again? I've beaten them before. God, you've had victory before. Why do I have to face this again? And notice in this passage, God isn't calling his people to fight. He's simply telling them what he's going to do to their foes. <laughs> Sometimes he brings up a common enemy, not for you to fight. But for him to say, watch this. Watch this. Now, historically, the Greek Empire was rising in power. And they were going to swarm through and defeat these cities one by one, making this prophecy that we see in Zechariah 9 true. And the beauty of it is, since Israel doesn't have to overcome these cities, but an invading force does, do you know what happens? There's not greater anger and hostility toward the Israelites Instead, these people that have been wiped out and, and worn out by the Greeks look to the Israelites for help. And so instead of it being a, a, a perpetual battle, there's actually a transition that's going to happen here to where those who were once their enemies will become like a tribe in Judah. They're going to join in and become part of the family. God can do that. When he fights your battles instead of you, he can create an atmosphere where your enemies become family. Verse 8, he says, I will guard my temple and protect it from invading armies. I am watching closely to ensure that no more foreign oppressors overrun my people. So he's fighting our battles, he's defeating our enemy, and he's also turning our enemies into brothers and sisters as he protects us. And I believe that's his design for us this day. 
I truly believe it. Let's keep reading, verses 9 through 17. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Israel. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood. I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. Come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners who still have hope. I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Judah is my bow and Israel is my arrow. Jerusalem is my sword and like a warrior I will brandish it against the Greeks. The Lord will appear above his people. His arrows will fly like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the ram's horn and attack like a whirlwind from the southern desert. The Lord of heaven's armies will protect his people and they will defeat their enemies by hurling great stones. They will shout in battle as though drunk with wine. They will be filled with blood like a bowl drenched with blood like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord, their God, will rescue his people just as a shepherd rescues his sheep. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How wonderful and beautiful they will be. The young men will thrive on abundant grain, and the young women will flourish on new wine. Now, is there a verse in there that sounds familiar? Maybe verse 9. Might be a verse you hear every year, right? When we talk about the triumphant entry as Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. It's taken, this is the prophecy that 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 passage is taken from. And Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. Why? Because a conquering king would ride a colt. One coming in for war, for battle, it it, it should be riding a war steed, a a battle-hardened war steed. But a king coming in peace that's already won the victory would come in on a donkey. Nobody goes to battle riding a donkey. It doesn't work. And so he's conquered and defeated the enemy. Then he goes on to say that he'll take away our weapons of war and he'll bring peace to the nations. This reminds me, in the New Testament, right before the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus has his disciples buy a couple swords. He did. He said, buy a couple swords. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they come to arrest him, Peter pulls out his sword. I don't think he knew how to use it very well. Because his best attack only cut off some dude's ear. And Jesus scolds him and tells him to put it away. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. Same lesson that we're learning in Zechariah. The same lesson in 2 Kings. Now Jesus gives in the book of Matthew. God fights our battles. You don't need to wage war by the methods of this world. You don't need to plot and scheme and and defeat somebody by your knowledge and your know-how and your methods. 
No, in an instant I could call heaven's armies to come in and defeat my foes. The true eternal victory that he wants to win in our hearts and lives is through truth, grace, and love. How do we know this? Well, how did our conquering king, the Messiah, come? With a vast army in the sky? When the, when the, uh, the shepherds in Bethlehem saw that vast army of angels in the sky, were they, were they ready for war? No. They were sent as messengers to worship God. And the fact that the Messiah had come and had just messed his pants in a stable. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And how did Jesus conquer sin and death in the grave? Was it by working through political schemes, lawsuits, battles between men and swords? No, he came because he showed grace to those who didn't deserve it. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He told the truth no matter what it cost him. And ultimately, he went to a death on a cross, suffering the worst death possible so we might have grace and love and truth and forgiveness. Love conquers all. His victories are won that way. He is our protector, our defender, and our rescuer. We cannot become distracted and waste our time and energy fighting battles we cannot win and are not called to fight. How do you win? You passionately pursue Jesus. And then he says, look what I can do. So our first question should not be, what do we do? Our first question should be, oh Lord, what are you going to do? <laughs> this is your battle. This is your foe. Anything that's, that's brought against me is because of you, and so I'm just going to do what you call me to do. Let him rub off on us. It is completely unnatural. I will never forget being in Covenant Christian School as a kid and being around my classmates and some of them who hadn't grown up in church their whole life like I would, when they would hear about Jesus suffering and death and turning the other cheek, they'd say, man, he sounds so wimpy. I mean, you got to remember, this is Arnold and, and, and Sylvester Stallone and, and Jean-Claude Van Damme. That's who our models were at that age. You, you say the wrong thing to me, I'm going to wipe you out. This Jesus sounds like a wimp. How can Jesus be that way? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. And his methods of warfare are different than this world. His methods of warfare bring life even to our enemy. Bring hope and, and grace and forgiveness to even them. So when you know... You don't have to fight. You're free to love and forgive even your worst enemies. And ultimately, they become your most trusted friends. Remember in the book of Acts when we were studying and, and God reached Saul, eventually turned him into Paul? And he's in that city of Damascus, right? And God, it's Cornelius, right? It's Cornelius in Damascus? Well, I want to make sure I get his name right. But God says, hey, there's this guy named Saul. I've reached his heart. He's blind. Go give him the message. And Cornelius says, um, God, 
I don't know if you know this, but this is not a good guy. He's imprisoned my friends. He's captured your people. He's killed and approved of the killing of Stephen. God says, I got him. I've already won the battle. I've already won the battle with Saul. I myself showed up on the road. He saw my glory. And now as he's blind, I'm speaking to his heart even now. And so when you show up, you're not to say, can I kill him now? You're to show up and show him grace and love that he doesn't deserve. And the scales will fall from his eyes and he'll see clearly. And he'll be a champion for me the rest of his days. That's the weapons of our warfare. It's not a sword, not a club, but a plate of love, a meal, breaking of bread, generosity. God, open our eyes so that we might see the reality of heaven and blind our enemy's eyes so that they can experience grace and truth and love. Now this verse ends with the promise that we will thrive in flourish. That may seem like the most ridiculous thing when you're depressed and overwhelmed by that same enemy. God's promises are true. We will thrive. We will flourish. It says women will be like they're, they're, they're drinking new wine. <laughs> Isn't that the promise of Acts, right? New wine, a new experience, the filling of the Holy Spirit. So you may feel at the end of your rope, death's door, constantly depressed and fearful. But remember, Elisha's servant, in an instant, God opened his eyes to true spiritual reality. And an impassable battle was won that day without a swing of the sword or a thrust of a spear, but a meal between once enemies as undeserved grace was given and received. So, in conclusion today, as you fight familiar enemies that you fought again and again and again, maybe the problem isn't them. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's the way you've been fighting the battle. And God says, are you ready to let me handle this? I've got all of heaven's armies ready and waiting in attention. Let me deal with their heart. Instead, you show them Jesus. Instead, you turn the other cheek. Instead, you give them your, your cloak as well as your robe. Instead, you walk two miles with them carrying their heavy burden. Instead, you do what no one else would do to them and sit across with them at a meal. Instead, when they're saying hate and anger and, and, and tearing you down, you encourage them with a love that can only come from heaven. I will reach their heart. My battle, my weapons of war our love, grace, truth that ultimately leads to peace, forgiveness, and eternal life. Jesus, I thank you that you fight our battles. Forgive us, Lord, when we've asked the wrong question. It's not what do we do. It's, Lord, open my eyes 
so I can see the reality of the situation. Open my eyes so I see what you are doing. Prepare my heart so that when you give victory in this situation, Lord, I'm not prepared to say I told you so or to crush or kill or destroy. God, prepare my heart so that when my enemy or my enemies are brought low by your power, I can usher them grace and they can become my family. They can become Paul's. Jacob's can become Israel's, Lord. Judah's can become the greatest tribe in Israel. Let that be true of us, Lord. Refine your people here today in your name. Amen. Worship team, you're welcome to come forward. Let me just encourage you to have a simple prayer. Open my eyes, Lord. Remember that song? I want to see Jesus. Or, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Ask him to open your eyes to the reality he wants you to have.